Amen, church. You can be seated. How good it is to hear that our hope is anchored in something stronger than ourselves, something outside of ourselves, something even that transcends our daily experiences. And that is so good to know as God's people that ultimately what we're anchored in is Christ himself, who meets with us here this morning, the risen Jesus ministering to us. And so it's great comfort and great confidence that we gather together. If you're new here this morning, perhaps visiting, uh, invited by a friend, co-worker, so glad you're here. Um, not only glad that you're among us, but our joy would be most complete in hearing and knowing that you are refreshed this morning in hearing more of our Lord Jesus and his goodness and mercy for us. So uh, if we can be of any help to you, uh, answer any questions, you of course encourage to turn and speak to one of the members next to you about what it means to be a member here or myself, one of the other pastors, uh, please make a point to say hello. I'm usually posted at the back door there after service. Well, this morning we're returning to the book of Exodus, so would you take your copy of God's Word, and let's turn again to Exodus chapter 20. Exodus chapter 20, we're considering this morning verses 8 through 11. But let's begin reading together verse 1. And God spoke all these words, saying, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. The Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it, you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, your male servant or your female servant or your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days, the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that's in them and rested on the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Would you pray with me? God and Father, we're so thankful to know that the foundation that we stand upon and the anchor that keeps us is most certainly our risen Lord Jesus. How thankful we are that He is not only the cornerstone of our foundation, but Father, You have seen fit to give us Your Word, the very words of Christ, and that we are not left to theorize or find some emotional sense of how much you are for us or how confident we are of your grace, but that you've seen fit to declare it plainly before our eyes in your written word. Lord, how greatly we need to have your word sown into our lives, how greatly we need to be equipped and well served to be found as faithful worshipers of you. Lord, we know that left to ourselves and apart from your word that we will not attain to the unity of the faith that we so need and so long to have. 
We know that apart from this equipping and the goodness of your word, that we'll just be like children that are simply tossed to and fro by every wind and wave of doctrine, being overtaken by cunning, crafty, deceitful schemes. Lord, we want to be those who are speaking your truth in love. Lord, we long to grow up into every way into our head, which is Christ. And Father, we pray that that would be what you accomplish here this morning. By word and spirit, would you see fit to take us as your people, continue to form us into the image of your Son, that you might receive the glory from us. And Father, that we might taste even more of your goodness, we pray. Amen. Several years ago, Annie and I took a seven-day cruise to the Eastern Caribbean. It was our first cruise, so there was a number of things that were quite new to me. Uh, one of the things I really didn't understand was that in each elevator, they had a floor mat that was changed out each morning with the day of the week, written right below my feet. At first, I just chalked it up to some sort of attempt at interior design, but then by Thursday, I understood the purpose. I had lost my bearings because each day had become like the last, filled with white sand beaches, buffet lines, afternoon naps, amazing sunsets, repeat. And by about the fifth day, I literally said, I have no idea what day it is until I stepped into the elevator. And then I understood. And whether it's due to work or vacation or school or some form of recreation, we often fill our days to overflowing and they can very easily run into the next without any sort of distinction. And yet, God, in his wisdom and his good design, he's actually ordered our week in such a way that we would not only find physical rest, but spiritual rest for our souls. The center of God's purpose for humanity is our worship and enjoyment of him. And wouldn't you know it, at the center of our week is God's design and those very same purposes. This is why we need to see the fourth commandment, which we're considering this morning, is having everything to do with entering into the goodness of God's design. When God tells us that in the first commandment that he is the Lord our God, and when he tells us that we shall have no other gods before him, and when he tells us that we should order our worship in a particular way, and then when he tells us that his name is to be made holy and revered, he then also tells us in the such a way as we gather as God's people, how we understand this better and how we enter into this delight of who he is. So notice how this is emphasized here in Exodus 20. The keeping the fourth commandment has everything to do with entering into God's good design. This day, first of all, is a day of distinction. It's the first thing we need to notice from Exodus 20. This is to be a day of distinction. Look back at verse 8. Moses says, Remember 
the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work. Verse 10, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. God speaks all of these words, and he says here that this is to be a day of distinction, that this one day should be remarkably different than the other six days. And notice how this is emphasized here in God's clear instruction. He says it's a day that's to be kept holy. God instructs his people to set this day apart. It's not a common day. It's a special day, and it's holy unto the Lord. And typically, when God marks something or designates something as holy in the Scriptures, think of maybe some of the other places you've heard this language, it's marked out for himself. It's not like it's just separated to be put on a shelf, but it's separated unto him for his purposes according to his design. And this day is to be kept in a similar manner. He is written, holy unto me, across the top of this day. It's a day to be kept holy, but it's secondly also a day that's to stand in contrast to the other six. Do you see that word there in verse 10? But. The but of verse 10 draws our attention to how this Sabbath day that he's speaking of is set off against the other six. In the span of six days, you're to do all of your work, but there is one day that will look remarkably different from those other six. So it's to stand in contrast. Really, all of this could be summed up in that first word there. Number three, it's a day to be remembered. Now, to say that it's to be remembered, it's more than just mental acknowledgement. It's more than just the, hey, set a timer so you don't forget. It's the sort of remembering that includes thoughtful activity, the sort of remembering that's going to be seen by intentionality. It's the sort of remembering that has this full recognition. Certainly a few newly married husbands figure out early on there's a difference between remembering that a certain day is your wife's birthday and remembering her birthday. And so, because this day is kept holy, and it's to stand in contrast to the other six, God's people are to remember this day by ordering their affairs, rearranging their schedule, planning ahead, preparing their hearts for this day that is to be kept holy unto the Lord. Have your days run together? Or does your Sunday look remarkably different than the other six days? As we faithfully labor for six days, and those days are filled to the brim with making breakfasts and packing lunches and school drop-offs and expense reports and sorting laundry and mowing lawns and putting toys and tools away, There should be one day in six that looks remarkably different. One day that anchors are weak, that looks distinctively different. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. So the first thing we can say is that this is to be a day of distinction. But also, it's to be a day of rest. 
see this second half of verse 10. A day of rest. On it you shall not do any work. You or your son or your daughter, your male servant or your female servant, or your livestock or the sojourner who's within your gates. This day, according to God who speaks, is to be a cessation, a ceasing, a resting from all of our ordinary labors and vocations in order to rest in our God. Now, notice that this rest is commanded. Can you imagine what good news this would be for former slaves? Don't forget who God is speaking to. Uh, These are the same people that recently had taskmasters ruling over them, making their lives bitter with hard service, afflicting them with heavy burdens. And having been liberated from such bondage, their new master says, I want you to devote one day to rest, not work. Now, even though they were no longer slaves, and though you might think people who were formerly slaves and now aren't, wouldn't need to be commanded to rest. But the temptation here is to fill every day with everyday concerns regardless if it was under Pharaoh or under Yahweh. I find it interesting to see that redeemed people still need to hear the command to rest. And not only were the Israelites to stop working, but those under their authority were also commanded to rest. God's saying, though there's work to be done, And though there's able bodies to do it, that's the list that's given there. Cease from work. Devote yourself to rest. But notice this day is not simply just a cessation from activity, but a planned rest for the purpose of being devoted unto worship, a day holy unto the Lord. This is important. Because for some reason in the last five to ten years, Sabbath, rest, it's become kind of like business speak. Even in a non-Christian world, the importance of having rest. I don't know if this is because of the rise of remote work. We're never really off. But you start to hear these sort of things, even among non-Christians, where it's like, you need to rest. That's true. But notice what this rest is for. Biblical rest Biblical Sabbath is not just cessation from labor. It's resting in order to worship. And the twin engines of Sabbath activity have always been resting in worship. These two expressions, they're they're distinct, but they're not separated. We rest in order so that we might worship God. And we give God worship as we trust Him enough to rest. Now, The particular granular details of how this God-focused day may vary between family to family or person to person in the finer details, but all of God's people should find their day characterized by these familiar patterns of worship and rest. Resting in order to worship. Worship by ceasing in order to rest. 
put it this way. What are the means, the activities that God has given us that will maximize our enjoyment of him and the experience of his gracious dealings with us? What are the means that God has given for God's people to enjoy that? If my ultimate rest is found in what Christ has done on my behalf and the realization of my union with him, then how can I order my day to cultivate this reality? Typically, a day that's devoted to hospitality and cultivating time for spiritual refreshment and physical rest Sandwiched between gathering with God's people in the morning and the evening, a day like that, it typically answers all the sort of questions of the, hey, can we do this? Those bigger foundation pieces of when we're pursuing those means that God has given to us, it's interesting that that typically fills out the bigger categories of what should this day look like? Now, wouldn't it be wonderful to have a day of freedom one in every seven where the other six had no claim on you. That's actually God's design. This is exactly what he's speaking of. This rest is commanded. But this rest also requires preparation. Unfortunately, many cities, cultures, homes, Sundays just kind of become the buffer to accommodate the overflow from the rest of the week. And for many of us, Friday and Saturday are really the apex of the week as we have dinners and parties and tournaments and travel and late nights on Friday means late mornings on Saturday and running it well into Saturday evening and and playing catch up. And Sunday can easily become the day where we're just trying to regroup to jump back into the double dutch that starts on Monday. Friends, if we would rest well on Sunday, keeping the day holy unto the Lord, we must prepare. Keeping the Sabbath does not begin on the Sabbath. Our confession, the second London confession in chapter 22, paragraph 8 says, The Sabbath is kept holy to the Lord when people have first prepared their hearts appropriately and arranged their everyday fares in advance then they observe a holy rest all day from all their own works. First, prepare. Then, rest. This sounds like asking the sort of questions and evaluating our lives that say, okay, what are the pressing needs and responsibilities that could wisely be ordered and attended to Monday to Saturday, so that we can rest on Sunday. What will you need to say no to in order to say yes to God's design? I think we know how weekend tournaments and Sunday obligations have more or less become a staple within many club teams and sports teams. And I understand the pull. You look at your kid. She's surprisingly talented. And this is the one thing he excels at. 
Math, not so much. And the look on his face when he makes the pass or when she hits that shot or when they walk off the field in the ninth. How can I say no to that? I understand the pull. And I understand the motive. How many of these teams or clubs roll over into Sunday? And the understanding of, okay, these leagues, they provide exposure. And this investment now means later doors opening up for for scholarships, for college, maybe even beyond. But friends, to reason this way is to assume that we're smarter and wiser than God. If it's the Lord's will for my kid to get a scholarship to go to college, could I not also think that the God who spoke the heavens in to existence by the word of his power, could also direct my children into their proper vocations? Do we need to go against his designs to ensure that my kids glorify God with their talents? We have our kids for roughly two decades. What we say to them certainly carries weight. But the priorities that we set through the decisions that we make speak the loudest. When we prioritize sports, team sports, youth sports, over gathering with God's people and honoring his day, our actions speak loudly as to what matters most. We would be wise to prepare so that we might enjoy the design that God has given. Fathers, this is particularly important for you to consider how you'll lead your family. We would be wise to prepare so that we might enjoy God's good design. The Puritan Thomas Watson said, If a prince were to come to your house, what preparation would you make for his entertainment? You would sweep the house, wash the floor, adorn the room with the richest tapestry and hangings, that there might be something suitable to the state and dignity of so great a person. On the blessed Sabbath, God intends to have sweet communion with you. He seems to say to you, as Christ to Zacchaeus, Make haste and come down, for this day I must abide at thy house. Now, what preparation should you make for entertaining this king of glory? When Saturday evening approaches, sound a retreat. Call your minds off from the world and summon your thoughts together to think of the great work in the approaching day. Purge out all the unclean affections which may indispose you for the work of the Sabbath. Evening preparation will be like the tuning of an instrument. It will fit the heart better for the duties of the ensuing Sabbath. We must prepare. This sort of rest requires preparation. But this sort of rest also requires faith. Ceasing to work means trusting that the Lord's designs our best. Keeping the Sabbath is an act of faith as we 
trust God that he will provide for us in this day? Think about it. We all know how hard it is to sit down and rest when you know the list of chores that need to be done and the outstanding tasks that are staring at you right in the face. And the illusion is that I will be more at rest once the work is done rather than ceasing from my work to remember the Sabbath. The deception there is that the work is ever going to be done. (laughs) Some of you recent retirees have figured that out. It's never done. So if we believe that, hey, once it's all done, then I can rest, guess what never happens? It's an act of faith to keep the laptop closed, to keep the open sign unlit while coworkers or other companies steam ahead. Your rest might mean smaller commissions. Your rest might mean less respect in a corporate culture that's always on. This sort of rest requires faith. When everyone else is treating one day like another, it's hard to believe that we're not falling behind somehow and enjoying life or providing opportunities for our families. When every other student is studying, every other athlete is playing, every other coworker is working, it's hard to believe that we're not missing out. But we're really not that unique. The Sabbath structure at its heart has always pointed in the direction of trust. Can you trust God to give you manna for two days on the sixth day? Will you have enough tomorrow? Can you trust God to make up for the lost work that you're going to miss out on by blessing your labors on the other six? Can you trust that attending to the condition of your soul is more enduring than the health of your bank account? Can you trust that God's designs are good? That his commandments are the revelations of his wise design and that his law is holy, righteous, and good? It is the Lord our God who brought us out of the house of bondage that says to us, my Sabbath shall be called a day of rest. It's a day of distinction. It's a day of rest. Look what verse 11 teaches us. It's a day of blessing. Exodus 20, verse 11. For in... Six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. You know what this means? It means that the Sabbath, the Lord's day, should be our favorite day and the one that we anticipate the most. Why? Because this is a day that's been blessed by God in creation. Notice the reason 
that God gives for keeping this command. He literally says, for. The reason that God gives for keeping this commandment, it goes beyond Israel here at Sinai. Yeah, the God who speaks this command, verse 1, the Lord their God that brought them out of Egypt, is the same God that spoke all creation into existence. And what did God do when he spoke creation into existence? Genesis 2, verse 1. Thus the heavens and the earth were finished, and all the host of them. And on the seventh day, God finished his work that he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it God rested from all his work in which he had done in creation. God blessed this day. Now, if our God is eternal, omnipotent, unchanging, what sort of rest is this? Certainly it couldn't be that God worked so hard in six days that he rested on the seventh to stave off exhaustion. That's not the God that we worship, nor the God that's been revealed to us in Scripture. Now, when God rested, what was he doing? He was delighting and enjoying what he called good. God set the pattern of devoting one day to considering what he says is good by orienting our lives around his goodness and agreeing with him that what he does is good. That's what he did on the seventh day. That's what he called his people to do, and that's what he established by a pattern. God, friends, is the first Sabbath keeper. And by his example of setting this day apart by resting, he established a pattern for his image bearers to keep. Remember, that's who he created, man and woman in his image. In his image, he created them. And so if God rests, what should his people reflect in their lives? When God anchors the fourth commandment in creation, it reminds us that this honoring of a particular day is not unique to Israel alone. This is anchored in creation. What God said is good. This is interesting because just as marriage finds its anchor in a creation ordinance, so too our understanding of the Sabbath. Marriage will continue on until glory, serving ultimately as a picture of what? Christ and the church. And when God established and sanctified the Sabbath day, he also intends it to function until he returns, testifying of the rest that God's people find in Christ. It's been given to his people as the great testimony of God's generous character. This is a day that's been blessed by God. But not only is it blessed by God, this is a day that's been transformed by Christ and his resurrection. Why is this day the best day? Well, God has blessed it, and ultimately, ultimately, by the transformation that Christ brings through his resurrection. 
Whatever questions we may have concerning the fourth commandment, it is absolutely critical that we recognize that Jesus never violated nor dismissed the fourth commandment in his earthly ministry. To be clear, he had no problem breaking the traditions surrounding the Sabbath that were just these heavy burdens invented by men that no one could keep. But not one of his conflicts with the scribes or the Sadducees or the Pharisees were over the legitimacy of the Sabbath itself. In Mark 2, Jesus gladly approves of his hungry hungry disciples picking up a to-go order of grain as they make their way through the fields. And there Jesus holds up the principle that the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. Do you understand? The Sabbath is to serve man. In Mark 3, Jesus heals a man with a shriveled up hand, teaching us we ought to do good on the Sabbath. It should not be an excuse that we pull out like, I would love to help you fix that tire, but Lord's Day. Sorry. We should do good. Luke 14, Jesus heals a man suffering from dropsy, teaching us that a Sabbath day is a time to show mercy. Goodness. Mercy. That's why our church confession uses languages like 22.8, fill the whole time with public and private acts of worship and the duties of necessity and mercy. It's coming straight from the scriptures in Mark and Luke. What did Jesus do on the Sabbath? Maybe that's where we should start. What we do, in part, we include what is providentially necessary. That's why we say things like driving, eating, cooking, visiting others, putting gas in our cars, those things are functionally necessary. We also don't withhold mercy. When it's in our hand to do good, we don't withhold that good. That's why there's such goodness and legitimacy in the merciful professions, doctors and nurses, firefighters, EMTs, hospital staff, Those are acts of mercy that I'm so thankful for that if my kid breaks his leg on a Sunday that I call up and get an answering machine. No, I don't want that. I I need mercy. So we understand that those particular vocations fit into that category of saying, thank you. Thank you, law enforcement, for not just taking all of Sunday off and letting the world run amok. That's merciful. We need that. The gospel accounts are very careful to show that Jesus never violated, but always honored the fourth commandment. If his heavenly father commanded that this day be a day of rest, a day to delight in God's goodness, then the son of God rested and rejoiced in this goodness. But if you haven't noticed... We're here on a Sunday, the first day of the week. Not Saturday, the seventh day of the week. What happened? I'll tell you what happened. Now after the Sabbath, toward the dawn of the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene, the other Mary, went to see the tomb. 
And the angel said to the woman, do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. He is not here, for he is risen, as he said. So that happened. John 20, 19, on the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, peace be with you. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. The disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. What happened? Christ was buried and he rose again on the first day of the week. And in Acts chapter 20 and in 1 Corinthians 16, we read of the disciples gathering now on the first day of the week to worship. Eventually, being referred to as the Lord's Day. What day do you meet? Oh, the Lord's Day, the day he rose. That's why we're getting together and we're reminding ourselves of the word of God. And, and we are breaking bread together and we, we are singing of him. You should join us. First day of the week. It's a day unto the Lord. It's the Lord's Day. So the pattern of one and six is a moral commandment from creation until Christ's second return. The particular day reflects God's instruction for the particular covenant. So in the old covenant, seventh day. But new covenant, Christ has risen again. And God has designed that the first day of the week be the day that we gather. Again, chapter 22 from our confession, from the beginning of the world to the resurrection of Christ, the appointed day was the last day of the week. After the resurrection of Christ, it was changed to the first day of the week, which is called the Lord's Day. Now keep in mind Matthew chapter 5. Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them, Jesus says. And God intends to communicate to his people through the Sabbath, through the Sabbath is accomplished in Christ and bestowed upon God's people through his death and resurrection. He's not abolishing the fourth, but he is making the fourth commandment so much greater than it ever has been in redemptive history. And so we honor the Lord's Day as we rest and rejoice in our God, receiving all the benefits that are given to us in Christ. Think of it this way. God rested on the seventh day in the goodness of his work in creation. We rest on the first day, enjoying the goodness of his work in recreation. Same thing, but so much better. And we enjoy this rest by preparing our minds for action, calling to mind the promise of the gospel, hearing the preaching of the word, entering into the sort of conversations that will build us up in our most holy faith. It is, as the Puritans have said, the market day for the soul where you go and you stock up on all the goods and all the resources that you will need so that your soul flourishes. Shut everything down so that you can feast and rest on all that is given to us in Christ. 
with the coming of Christ, the fourth commandment is not cast aside, but it's gloriously transformed. We move from shadow to substance because the new covenant experience of this day shines brighter and fuller for the believer as we cease from our labors and we rest in gospel goodness. Church, to ignore this day, it's not a badge of freedom. That would actually be a foolish hunger strike against the wisdom and the goodness and the mercy of God. God has blessed this day, and this blessing is most fully known and experienced in the person of Christ. That's why you can never think that mere church attendance is the box to check. If you're taking comfort in some mere religious roll call, that satisfies some particular religious duty, then you are missing the point of this day. The blessing of this day is not simply in your attendance, but you're attending to the one who was dead and is now alive. The blessing of this day is an expression of faith and repentance. Faith in God's promise and provision for sinners, turning away from our sin Accepting, receiving, and resting upon Christ alone. That's where the blessing is found. And so if you're visiting or if you're newly attending, and we're so glad you're here. But our real joy is hearing and seeing you put your trust in Christ. That's the purpose of this day. For each Lord's Day, we rest from our labors. We celebrate our redemption from the bondage of sin and Satan and death and indeed Sabbath rest is the heartbeat, really, of Christ's offer. And he says, come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. This is the day that's been transformed by Christ and therefore becomes the delight of God's people. Because in this day, we celebrate, we enjoy a preview of heaven. I find it interesting that when considered in terms of the number of words, the fourth commandment is at the very center of the Decalogue. 163 Hebrew words make up the Ten Commandments. The word at the very center of it is to the Lord, in verse 10, as a Sabbath to the Lord your God. It's almost as if God wanted to center our attention around our communion with him and our enjoyment that we find in resting and worshiping him together, delighting in his goodness. So instead of looking for a list of what you should or shouldn't do, look to the gracious purpose for which God has given to this day. It's a day set apart, a day distinct from all the other six. It's a day of rest where we lay down our ordinary labors and vocations and we turn our attention to our great God and Savior. And it's a day of blessing where we are enriched and nourished by all that we have in Christ, remembering that this day is just a preview of the eternal rest that is to come. In anticipation of this eternal rest, in anticipation of this eternal glory, Robert Murray McShane said, This is the reason why we love the Lord's Day. This is the reason why we call the Sabbath a delight. 
When a believer steps away from his desk at the office or his station in the factory, sets aside his work clothes and worldly cares and comes to the house of God, it's like the dawn of the resurrection. When he sits under the preaching of God's word and hears the voice of the pastor leading and feeding his soul, it reminds him of the day when the lamb which is in the midst of the throne shall feed them and shall lead them to the living fountains of waters and God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes. When he joins in singing psalms of praise, it reminds him that one day he will join his voice with those myriad of angels and redeemed saints to worship God and the Lamb. He says, a well-spent Sabbath we feel to be a day of heaven upon earth. Friends, God delights to give us his good design so that we might enter into this day convinced that it is the greatest day that we could ever experience. Father, we do pray that you would cause us to see the goodness of your design and that you would help us to rest and to trust in the wisdom of your ways. Lord, so often we feel the impoverishment of our souls and so frequently we are aware of our inability to accomplish what concerns us. Lord, we are so grateful for your kindness your goodness and your mercy to design our very weeks to meet the very needs that we have, that you are the creator, we are the creation, and that you are a good and merciful creator. Lord, we do pray that this day, as in every Lord's day, you would nourish us upon Christ, that we would see him in all of his glory, and that we would find our souls satisfied as we continue to turn from sin and put faith in him. Lord, we pray that you would cause this day to become even more of a delight to us as your people. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.